Welcome back to Nerd Geek Dork, the podcast where we discuss the nerdy, geeky, and dorky sides of pop culture. I'm L. Adam. And I'm Pete the Retailer. And today we're going to be talking about Jaws. Jaws, the 1975 film directed by Steven Spielberg, based on Peter Benchley's novel. It was uh, a huge, kind of the first huge summer blockbuster. It was, in its time, the highest grossing film in history. And, uh, you know, critically acclaimed, financially successful, and just, you know, an all-time classic. And joining us today to talk about Jaws, we have Anthony. Hi, I'm Anthony, and I am currently not too far from Amityville, Long Island. And we have Josh. Hey, I am Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com. And we have Kevin. Hey, guys, I'm Kevin Marr from the show Kevin Geeks Out, which is going to be starting up at the Alamo Draft House. Thanks for coming, guys. Now we all know each other. Do we? All right, so uh, when do you guys remember first seeing Jaws? Because I think it was a while. I didn't see it, obviously, in, in theaters because it came out the year I was born. Uh, and I don't remember seeing it initially for a while. I think it was later, probably like junior high or high school or something like that. I, I would, you know, it's funny is that I actually came to it really late because I was born after it came out. Not by long, two years. And um, I remember being like, I hated horror movies when I was a kid, and I just thought that's scary. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. So I think that like right after I got out of college, I started like buying movies all over the place because it was the it was the era of of the DVD. I was just like collecting as much as I could, and I started watching Jaws, and I'd always seen like bits of it on TV. Like I just remember like I kept watching it more and more and getting mesmerized by it. Like fifteen years later, <laughs> for me it was. Um 1979 in my living room we uh we were the, one of the first families on my block to get a vcr and my dad got three bootlegs he got star wars grease and jaws and i all three of those movies have been watched many times in my my household back then so the picture probably looked uh, great <laughs> <laughs> well, that explains a lot about your so, personality anthony i think <laughs> I'm more he's of a always, grease. He's always dancing and hunting sharks with a laser. Sword. Yeah, I mean, I love Star Wars and Jaws, but I'm I'm, I'm more of a grease two guy. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about you, Kevin? Uh, I I really can't remember. I can't remember a time when I didn't already know Jaws. It's just like an omnipresent. Like it's hard to remember the first time. I just feel like I it's something I watched with my family at a really young age. Which again, in retrospect. Not sure that my parents should have been showing me Jaws when I was so young. It was rated PG. True. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say I was, was probably only like four or five when I saw it. I have an eight-year-old son who's trying to see it. When is the right When is the right age to show someone Jaws? Depends on the eight-year-old. Hmm. Yeah, and it, I think it depends on where you live too. Because I lived in a in a beach town, and so it was much more terrifying than you know if if the uh, if the the beach is kind of an abstract to you. Then I, I think it was uh, uh, I think it would be less scary. But the fact that like you know every day pretty much I was you know walking over to the beach, I think that you know that made it much more terrifying. Mm. I had an interesting exercise though. We were we were driving back from Cape Cod from vacation, uh, and my son was talking to me about Jaws. Really wanted to see Jaws. His cousins had seen it. They had the DVD at the rental house where they were staying. I wouldn't let him see it, but I said I will tell you the story of Jaws, 
And it's fascinating, if you meet somebody who doesn't know the movie Jaws, who hasn't seen it, it's really cool to have to retell that story and what you include and what details you put in there. And you realize, in telling the story, take away the shark, it's still a fantastic story. Absolutely. And it's also one of those things, it's almost like a, almost like a Rorschach test that what you include in the story says a lot about you. Like, you give away so much of your personality <laughs> based on what you're <laughs> For me, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time at work, so I'm telling them, like, it's, it's about this police chief, and people don't listen to him. He's <laughs> Don't respect his opinion. So you bring a lot of your own, you know, Jaws is a mirror. He's like, that sounds like a horrible movie, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all this bureaucracy, see? I had a question I wanted to ask the, the group. I just saw the trailer for Jaws and prepping for this. And have you seen the trailer recently? I just watched it yesterday for the same reason. I've never seen it. I'm okay. a horrible host. I did not watch it. I, I think we I've seen all, it, but I can't remember it. Everybody can go online. You can find it. It's on YouTube. The voiceover says very dramatically that it's as though God made the devil on earth and gave him Jaws. And wow. it's interesting, this informal poll, who thinks the shark is evil? No. I do not. I don't. I don't either. I think shark, shark is just doing it. its thing. It's yeah. It's a shark. Not till the fourth movie. But I was, I was thinking, do you think up until Jaws was like, was The Exorcist the biggest like horror blockbuster movie? Is it trying to, was Jaws being marketed as an Exorcist style horror movie where it's not enough to make it a giant shark attacking a beach. It has to be that the shark is the devil. It's interesting because in the, I was watching some of the documentaries and, um, they were, I think, uh, one of the producers, um, not Zanuck, but the other one with the mustache was saying that when they were trying to get it through the ratings board, they made the case that it shouldn't be rated R. There was no PG 13 then, uh, because no one could imitate no one was going to imitate the actions of the shark. It was an animal. So they specifically made the case that it's not evil. It's just an animal. It's a thing that happens. Ooh. They got their PG that way. But then they go out and market it as the scariest thing you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> Except those kids with the fake fin, though. And he goes, he made me do it. He talked me into it. Those kids were trying to, you know, in the movie. But they weren't they were killing trying to Im- anyone. Yeah, but they were trying to imitate a shark. That's true. But- wow. You- <laughs> we should call the ratings board. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what's the other funny thing about the trailer was that we complain about this happening now, but the trailer showed everything that happens in the movie. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. literally right up to the shoot him in, <laughs> shoot him at the end. It, like it was, I was like, wow, that just, that was everything that happened. So yeah. did the trailer not show the shark until the end of the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, trailers used to be cut, you know, like really long and really just kind of yeah, like boring telling you everything about the movie. Yeah, if I if I were to make a trailer for Jaws, I'd probably end it with them just like singing in the boat, <laughs> and then the thumping. Yeah, like that's how I'd end it. And then they would the thumping wouldn't be thumping; it would be those uh, those bongs from the uh, Inception movie. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I, know, I know we don't want to get into the sequels too much. The Jaws three trailer is a great trailer. The <laughs> teaser trailer doesn't show you anything from the movie. It's just it's just a shark fin coming right at you. It's effective. It's scary. Oh, because that's the 3D one, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, since we're not talking about uh, sequels, I want to do a uh, an edit 
of Jaws 2 because uh, I, I watched Jaws 2 not, not too long ago, less than a year ago. And I was thinking like, wow, this would be a much better movie if there was no shark. <laughs> so if you just take Jaws 2 and edit out all the bits with the actual shark and it's just like, you know, kind of, you know, gun shy, PTSD kind of Brody just freaking out about like, there's going to be a shark. There's going to be another shark. And he's just kind of shooting, you know, the schools of fish in the water and he's chasing, you know, like, like won't let the kids do anything. But then the whole time there's really no shark. He's just crazy. Like he needs to he needs to prove that he's he was right about the shark the one time. <laughs> that would be a great but then, but then movie. The, but then in your version of it, at the end of it, there is no shark and he's just crazy. Yeah, he's just crazy. Yeah, he likes, he by, likes by having... Does he die? Yeah, does he bite the cable and die? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, in a way, they, they say in Jaws the Revenge that Brody, Martin Brody died of a heart attack, which Ellen says is, was brought on by the shark. So I think that is ultimately where the, the story ends. Well, what's interesting, though, is that immediately in the aftermath of exploding the shark in the first one, uh, he... He's incredibly calm. In fact, he's just happy. Like there's not like a like a shaky adrenaline filled like 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 he's just like, well, all right, let's go swimming back home. Like he's (laughs) totally cool. I noticed that like him and him and Hooper just are like, well, all right, let's talk. What day is it? How you doing? All right. It's totally cool. It sucks that Quint didn't make it, but we're here. You know one of the (laughs) endings they didn't film? That uh, he shoots the shark, the shark blows up, and the orca continues to sink and Brody's elated. And then all these other fins come towards them. Whoa. Oh, I think I remember hearing something about I've that. I've never heard that. Wow. I read it on IMDb. Who knows if there's anything to it? Right. I think at that, that point, that even if they cool. were planning to, they just thought they couldn't do that technically, so screw it. <laughs> right. It was tough enough getting one shark to work, never mind yeah. a dozen. Well, in the book, the, do- the, the shark dies a different way, right? He, it's, it's like a harpoon. And it's supposed to sink slowly, but they decided yeah, but- that wouldn't be any good the culmination of all the things that have happened to it, it just collectively messes mm. up with it and it just dies. Well, that's interesting because like, I haven't read the book and I have made a conscious decision at this point not to because I know that there are differences and I don't want to think, I don't want, I don't want a different Quint in my head because I know that there, you know, the, there's a whole mafia thing going on in the book and there's like, I know little bits about it unless I'm grossly wrong about that. But I just yeah. decided like, I don't, I don't want to be thinking about that stuff when I watch it. I don't want a different Hooper. I don't want them to ruin Hooper for me. Yeah, yeah Hooper and um, Ellen date. Yeah, they have <laughs> like an affair. Weird. They have right? an affair, yeah, because Ellen Ellen was actually dated Hooper's brother in like college, and uh, it's just it's strange. I didn't like the book. I read it about maybe five six years ago, and yeah. But yeah, there is a whole mafia thing. Um, I know that the mayor in the movie, the mayor is under pressure from I guess the local businesses but in the in the in the book it's the mafia which is <laughs> the Cape, the Cape bizarre Cod mob. yeah <laughs> <laughs> they stand around in shorts <laughs> be terrible if something was to happen to your clam shack <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh when i was when i was reading up on on some info on jaws uh earlier i felt i had that moment where i realized i haven't accomplished much in life when I realized that Steven Spielberg was around 26 when he did this. You know, that's true, but I've also heard rumors that, like, they fudged his age a lot. Like, if you think about all the things that he did before this, he'd mm-hmm. done two features, or one of them was for TV. He'd done Duel and Sugarland Express, and he directed TV for a while. Where did he start when he was 16? I mean, it doesn't quite, like, it's one of those things where, I mean, and, and you're absolutely right, that is one of those things where 
you know, you look at him then and he's clearly very young and he was very, uh, yeah, it's, you're right. I was just trying to justify it myself. <laughs> I was like, he was probably lying. He was probably 35. And I was like, no, I haven't done shit either. Yeah. I think at most he was, you know, 30, but even still. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. He looks really young though in the making of documentary. Like he just, it's, just, it's, you know, he, he looks like a kid. <laughs> You know what's interesting about all that is that whenever I hear Steven Spielberg talk about making one of his movies, I go, I really like this movie, but I, I, he would annoy the hell out of me in real life. <laughs> same, same thing with Dreyfus, especially at that Dreyfus back then. Just insufferable people. Well, let me, let me like, what, what is it the thing that, that attracted you to this movie then? What is the reason that you're still talking about it? Because I do a lot of thinking about this and, and why it is that like I have you know like a poster on my wall and this is a movie that when it kind of, I refer to this as my favorite movie. It came out before I was born. You know, mm. What is it the thing that, that makes it special to you? It's not the same as like Star Wars where it, that's like the thing that we grew up with and so you're, there's a comfort to it. There's something about it. But this is different because it doesn't really have that – for me at least, doesn't have that same attachment. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I don't, I don't really count Star Wars as a as a film so much as just kind of like that's a phenomenon. That's something that I'm involved in. It's the air I breathe. Exactly. Whereas Jaws, I can appreciate as a as a film. Like the the scene that always makes me kind of pause and be like, oh, you know, like this is a good movie. Is uh, where Brody's sitting at the table with his with his kid, and they're just doing the you know kind of mirroring each other's actions. That I'm always just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is like, that's just a little step that like makes this good. That's the, that's the gravy that makes this film. That is a great scene. Yeah. Like, I, I never tire of that one. They just um, did that. That was just, that was just a fluke that they, they, the kids started doing that one day. And, and, uh, and, uh, I want to call him Brody. <laughs> Grab Spielberg. <laughs> is like, look at this. And they were like, they got, they grabbed the camera and they did it. <laughs> nice. It was like an improv. <laughs> For me, I think it's just the scene where they're exchanging, uh, scars or they're showing each other their scars on the boat there's something about that scene that i love and i quote it all the time like you, all you, you the time because when you say that see i think of that as the as the precursor to the indianapolis speech which to me is the moment that i was like wow the, the moment i can't look away the moment that like i will always remember mm. i just okay. i just like that moment of you know like that light humor and mm. just the way uh they ended with the scar like she broke my heart like right. that that always gets me every single time. I actually quoted it this weekend to someone because I couldn't help myself. Uh, my favorite line, actually, in that in that scene, is right before that when he goes to like right before he he says she broke my heart. It's when he Hooper uh, uh, goes to take his shirt off and Brody's like, "You're wearing a sweater because you're just so hairy underneath the shirt." Yeah. Well, there's it's, it's funny. This is a di- uh, distraction, but uh, the, I, it's supposed to take place in July. Right. They go into Quint's shack. There's water boiling everywhere. Quint is in a wool sweater, uh, something over on top of that. Like, I don't know where, what if they're having an unusually cold summer <laughs> or what, but they should be dying of heat stroke. <laughs> when they go get on the boat, like, he's got, he's got like a thermal shirt underneath another shirt, a jacket on that. <laughs> I think for me, uh, the, the Indianapolis speech was the first thing that really grabbed me. And therefore, like, I really always like the character of Quint. I just find Robert Shaw to be completely watchable. I can't, I can't keep my eyes off him. Uh, and, and from that, I started watching it more. And the thing that I noticed this time around 
I've watched it many times, but I just sort of uh, watched it again to brush up, is that it's very much cinematic in a way like it feels like a movie like the, all of the shots are are carefully chosen they're they're paying attention to what it is you're looking at and how you're looking at it and it's just really well made in a way that I was like this feels like cinema and 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 I this is going to sound cranky but like a, a lot of movies today that I watch don't and it it has that like it has a th- and everything is is practical there's no effects to it it's all very visceral and and real and even though the shark is fake looking and stupid like because of that, they had to shoot around it. They had to, they had to make something and that made it all more memorable to me. And every time I watch it, I marvel at sort of just what, a, what an excellently crafted film they, they cobbled together at the end there, uh, which is, I think is one of the reasons it's still around. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think they could pull this off today because everyone's spoiled with you know, what we can mm-hmm. do with computers and everything. So we'd see the shark like every five minutes. And like from every possible angle, and there wouldn't be any real suspense. You know, it'd be like gruesome, yeah. You know, shark bites and everything. Which well, the same same thing where they had to go for that PG rating. Like they, you know, it's not it's not particularly bloody. There's a couple of things, but it's not gory. They they didn't have that option. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think really the, just the scene when Quint dies is like the most gory scene in the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I we don't I think, actually see Quint die. I'm just saying. Oh, oh. Don't. <laughs> goes underwater. He's never swallowed necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there like an expanded universe story where he survives and <laughs> Dengar saves him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His eyes just come up at the end like Apocalypse Now. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I think, you know, if it was able to, uh, you know, be filmed as it was intended, I think it would have been a much worse movie because they, they, they had to do a lot of that kind of suspense and, and kind of shadows and music cues and all that because the shark wasn't working. Uh, you know, the technical effects just kept breaking down and so they, can't, they couldn't film the movie they wanted to film and ended up having to make a much better movie. But I think if everything, you know, went hunky-dory, then we wouldn't be sitting here talking about Jaws. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all all the stuff. The more you read about it, or you watch the documentaries, um, or hear any of the people who made the film talk about it, every day when the shark wasn't working, it would be like, okay, the actors are going to rehearse the scene, and then Dreyfus is going to ad lib, and then uh, Carl Gottlieb's going to put the ad lib in the script. It was like it was a living screenplay where they were rewriting it day after day. Um, the editor Thelma Shoemaker would would sit in and say like, well, what's the next thing you're going to do? Well, if you want to get that shot, here's how I'm going to edit it. So here's what you need to shoot. It's, so it was it was, it was a very collaborative process. And what's curious is it's like a film so early in Spielberg's career, and it was the only one that was made this way. I don't think he's made a better film since Jaws, and I think it's that collaboration that made it like a living script that had so many contributors to it. I think that's part of what makes it such a powerful film. I'm going to be a jerk. It was Verna Fields, Thomas Schoemaker. Verna is, Fields, uh, is, uh, Scorsese's guy. Scorsese. They're both. Can we edit that out? I'm going to look stupid. <laughs> I wouldn't have known either of those. You know, so you actually, I, I think that's a really good point in terms of the committee. If you think about it, like when we think of a movie now as made by committee, the way that like they show up, they don't have a script. There's a bunch of people who worked on the screenplay. Usually, that's a sign of disaster. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen here, which is really fascinating. What? This movie shouldn't be good. I mean, by all by all rights, <laughs> your props didn't work. You know, yeah. well, you I had your they, actors disliking each other. The New York Times said it was like a well-made Roger Corman movie, which Spielberg hated and Corman loved. Mm. <laughs> well, well, I was just going to say that, like, if if it had worked the way they had intended it, like showing the shark and everything like that, it probably would have just been of the same caliber as all the ripoffs that followed, which Kevin, you know a lot about. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I did a show, uh, Kevin and Matt geek out about shark movies, and it, it's like we looked at all the movies that came after Jaws and all the copycats. And one of the things I always love is like that whatever your monster is, whether it's like a octopus or a barracuda, tiger shark, or even like a grizzly bear in the movie Grizzly, um, there's always that guy, and then there's always the expert, you know, there's always the Matt Hooper. But I always love that there has to be a guy saying, I'm not going to stop the parade. Like <laughs> there's always a Larry Vaughn who has to who has to maintain like we're not going to close the campgrounds. And um that's always to me one of the most satisfying details like if you're going to do jaws, if you're going to rip off jaws, you need a Larry Vaughn. You know, it's funny, when I was a kid, I never fully understood the mayor's position. I I, I used to just think he didn't believe that there were sharks in the water. I didn't I didn't understand the whole money aspect. You know, even when he said Amityville is a summer town, we need summer dollars. I, I didn't. That just flew right over my head. I was just like, how does this guy not understand that there's sharks there in the water? Like, is he that dumb? But now, I mean, it's so like being an adult and sort of watching how politics play out. It's completely understandable how he took his position. And like, there's that one point where they're in the hospital and, and he realizes he's screwed, but he just can't, he still can't admit it to himself. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's 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 like rubbing his face and he's doing calculations in his head and he's like, I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And it's so much better than to think that there there isn't some like uh, Giuseppe behind him who's angry. Like it's so much better that he's a politician. He's just he's just trying to get through. I think that's another reason mm. the movie the movie like we were comparing it earlier to something like Star Wars. That Jaws is a movie so many of us saw when we were kids, but it's not a kids movie. And then you see it again as an adult, and you relate to the film so differently, and you understand it really differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, to me, if you were to ask me what it is, it's not a horror movie. It's not like the, the shark is is the symbol of of chaos or, or fear or whatever it is. But like, it's a it's it's a buddy movie. And buddy's not exactly the right word because these guys aren't friends. A fishing trip that went wrong. Yeah, but like, it's these three really interesting people. And you're watching them try to solve a problem together, and they don't get along, and they don't think the same way, and they're very they're very different than one another. Like the characters are super interesting. That the sort of triumvirate of those guys. It has that uh, a similar thing that you know. I'll say every time I read Watchmen, uh, maybe not every time, but as I age and I read Watchmen, like I'll identify with different characters. Mm-hmm. And Jaws has that too, where it's just like every once in a while I'll see it from a different point of view. And I'll be like, oh, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, that's what he's about. Like, that's what, like, I totally get that now. But, like, then at a different mm-hmm. point in my life, I'd be like, oh, I totally get that now. Mm-hmm. Like, it does have a lot more. What was your Quint phase? My Quint phase was, like, you know, the kind of, like, teenage badass, like, punk, you know, kid that I was trying to be uh, and hanging out, you know, and, like, being a, a, a you know, troublemaker. And it's just kind of like, yeah, like, especially because there are so many old salts like that in my in yeah. the town that I grew <laughs> up in that it was just like, yeah, I'm going to be like that. I'm just going to hang out and be a clamor and... My, my, it's funny because it's at it, it, this point I would say my favorite scene is probably the scene in Quint's like little shack because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Like Quint's just rambling; he's not saying anything that makes sense. He doesn't respond to whatever he if he asks somebody a question and they answer it, he just doesn't respond. He's like, "Time me, time me a sheep shake," and he does it. Then he gets he just throws it away. <laughs> and he just keeps yelling. It's if you're in a bad mood, watch that scene, man, because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Are there the Aren't there um, deleted scenes with Quint's like sidekick guy? I always call that don't... guy Netley, which was the, <laughs> the, co- the coachman from from Hell. Which no one, I can't explain to anybody now, but obviously you're right. a good audience for that. <laughs> no, that's Netley. It was in one of the. I watched the behind the scenes documentary on the newest Blu-ray, which is the I think it's called The Shark is Still Working or something like that. And they mm-hmm. finally talked to that guy. And oh no like, kidding. They, 
yeah, I was like, oh, it's Netley, but that's not, they gave him an actual name. And, and they talked to the actor. It wasn't much to it, but I was just – I was like, oh, there – because we ignored – they ignored him completely. He just follows Quinn around for a couple of scenes and they never explain him or never – like he doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Netly. Isn't it that he refuses to go out on the on the boat? He, he knows it's a doomed mission? Uh, I don't know. It's not in the movie. Uh, there, there, is a, there was a scene that was filmed and I, I kind of wish I watched it before we did this. I can't remember. Ugh. It's out there though. I'm sure it's on YouTube. A scene with him refusing to go out there. Uh, there's a scene with him talking. It's on, you know, on YouTube. Lines. On YouTube, they go to buy piano wire, right? That scene, I remember. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, and he sings, right? Doesn't Quint sing? Yeah. But like, yeah. And then the kid breaks his string, and he's my mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say maybe on YouTube there's a scene of uh, Quint's assistant also making out with Mrs. Brody. <laughs> <laughs> Murray Hamilton, everyone. <laughs> All the cut scenes are just people making out with Mrs. Brody. <laughs> and her husband was like the chairman of, of uh, Universal. And he said, we, we, can't have, we can't have this. He's <laughs> like, no, no, it's okay. Yeah, it turns out they just, there is no shark. They just need Brody to leave for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> Quint, he, he just hates Hooper, or he just wants to give him a hard time. But for some reason, he's oddly fatherly towards Brody, and it's it's this, and, and it just goes on like that. And then and then like that's that triumvirate that just keeps getting. And all of a sudden, he just all he cares about is getting the shark, and he smashes the radio from out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, I think that's my Quint phase. Whenever I get stubborn about something, it's <laughs> just like, no, I don't need your help. Now, does a Quint does a Quint phase come? Does that include anti-Semitism? Oh yeah. Or is it totally. like I'm Quint, but I'm cool. I'm not. <laughs> is he is he an anti semite, or is that only sort of uh sort of uh tangentially? I, I don't like Richard. I don't like Hooper because he's a little Jewy. <laughs> is that what's I ha- mean, is that what's happening? Is that the reason that we're yeah, saying? It's, I think it's like it's a class thing, but I think they they kind of portray it that he's this you know kind of bigoted. Hmm. Wow, I've never I thought it was just a- out of it. Yeah, I, I thought it was just a class thing. Like, who, like who's yeah, this, like, you know, pretty boy, like, like rich yeah. boy with and all this equipment? Like, and you don't think that's coded? You don't think that's... that's no, because if, you, if, you, if you're in an island town or something like that, there's two kinds of people. There's this guy who's making his living off the ocean, and then there's guys who are, you know, there to vacation and ride around on boats. And, and like, you know, he sees the oceanographic guy as a guy who's screwing with his livelihood because he's got to go out and fish. Yeah. Hmm. Plus, yeah. they really disliked each other. <laughs> yeah, that too. My quick face will be when I evade my taxes and flee to Canada. <laughs> well, you know, Quint said it was his ship, his charter, and then all of a sudden Hooper's on the boat. So he was probably pissed off about that too. Like, why does this guy have to come? I like probably Adam Hoopy. Hoopy. <laughs> Hoopy drives the boat. Hoopy. <laughs> so, listeners, if you want to send in any of your college film class papers about anti Semitism in Jaws, <laughs> Please, uh, <laughs> please send it to Nerdy <laughs> Dork. We will read them on the air. <laughs> you know, there's something about the that that big reveal with the shark that's amazing. You know, when uh, Brody's throwing out the chum, mm. and then the shark pops out. And I was I was reading something I'd never read about it. It turns out when they when they did the first screening, they had to like extend that scene because like the reaction was so big to the big reveal that no one heard the line, you're going to need a bigger boat. So they actually had to like lengthen his reaction scene when he pulls back 
and then bump up the volume on his line just to go that, above everyone's screams. That shot, it, that's exactly what I was talking about when I said it's like well shot and cinematic. Like that whole bit through there, it looks so good. Like it's it's edited perfectly. It's timed perfectly. When the shark pops up, like they cut and then he sort of pulls himself up into the frame and he makes that face. It's not a scream. It's not anything. It's just that look. Yeah. It's just it's it's just incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being effusive about something is never interesting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> we can, we can't argue with you about that. It's yeah, it's just like, we I all understood that prior to this conversation, so you got you got a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it does, you know, uh Roy Scheider doesn't get uh I don't think he gets recognized enough for being uh, a pretty good actor, at least, you know, in in some like, things. He was like the biggest star there was then. Was that around Fosse when that happened? It was after the French Connection, and he was a big, big deal. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, he gets his gets his. He had his time in the sun, I guess. I guess we don't, so. We don't think of him that way now. It's like Gene Wilder. Like right. we don't think of he was a gigantic star, but we don't really, like. You'll I'll watch a movie with Gene Wilder. He's really good. Not think that. Like, no, he was bigger than Jim Carrey at the time. Right. When Jim Carrey was big, I it's forget. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Like the acting across the board, the acting is good. Uh, in the movie, which is another thing that elevates it. Well, one of the things I actually really like about it, and I, th- I mean, obviously, like this was a this was a rough choice for uh, from a technical standpoint, was they they went and shot it, you know, on location, not you know, in the place where that wasn't you know, Amity's fake, but you know, ostensibly the real place, and they used a lot of people from around there. So, like hearing those accents and and like looking at it, like lent at this level of authenticity because uh, people doing that accent that that. Right, Ape Cod, New England accent. Like people can never do that and make it sound real. So only real people, you know, kind of make that work. Right. Uh, and then just those little people peppered throughout at Ben Gardner or or you know even Mrs. Kintner or whatever. Like they're all from there, and and there's that one level of really grounded reality. And maybe it's just because I'm from New England that I really notice it. But I always really appreciated that part. I read a lot of uh, Richard Matheson short stories, and you know he wrote Duel, and I feel like Duel the way the way I always frame it is. Duel is to Jaws as Sam Raimi's Darkman is to Spider-Man. You know, <laughs> Duel was kind of like the, the first draft for Jaws. Huh. Um, and, and when I read Richard Matheson's stories, what I love is he could do like a vampire or like an alien UFO lands. And he would include so many details that just like it would you would read it and be like, oh, yeah, this this is exactly what would happen if a spacecraft landed in somebody's backyard. Like he just puts in enough real human reactions and details that make the stories so palpably real that anything ridiculous can happen because it's so grounded. And I think that's exactly it. You know, the, the performances in Jaws and the script has so many details that it just feels like, yeah, this is how it would play out if there was a great white shark attacking a coastal town. I, I watch cartoon movies all the time, so I'm sure maybe you guys have seen uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Love Cloudy yep. with a Chance of Meatballs. The mayor is basically the mayor from Jaws. Okay, I've no, here, I noticed here's that. the politicians. Here's the politicians, okay? This is, I, I was hoping we get to talk about this, that Larry Vaughn kind of like set the bar, and then you have, uh, if you ever see the movie Capricorn 1, Hal Holbrook is the guy who fakes the moon landing because they know that the space shuttle is not going to work. He's the Larry Vaughn of the movie Capricorn 1, and he kind of looks, you know, Hal Holbrook kind of looks like Larry Vaughn, and then I feel like James Karen in Poltergeist, who moves the headstones, the real estate guy who knowingly builds houses on <laughs> Indian grave burial grounds, he's the Larry Vaughn of Poltergeist, 
And then I think you don't get one until Bruce Campbell as the mayor in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, where, yes, he's totally Larry Vaughn. <laughs> I like how your, your specialty seems to be noticing the recurrences of Larry Vaughn in culture. Not just that, <laughs> you also like he's also the guy who, who makes the parade go on. Like it's there's there's. Oh, well, in all the movies. Yeah, you have to yeah, have yeah. one in uh, Kingdom of the Spiders. Yeah, they're like, we're not canceling the carnival. <laughs> <laughs> you need it. Uh, did we cover Jaws the Ride? I love the Jaws ride. I went on it, uh, I guess it would have been in like 2004. I was in Orlando for work, and I was at the park during the day. I had some time to myself, so I, I wasn't like with my wife. I didn't have kids yet. So I'm walking around, and I would go and stand in line, and then somebody would come out and say, I'm, I'm at the back of the line. They're like, oh, we got room for one more. Is there anybody who's here alone? Like at Universal <laughs> Studios theme park, and I'd raise my hand. I'm like, I'm here alone, and I would have to do the the weird uh, uh, theme park walk of shame of walking in front of each other. Why is he here? So I got to go on the Jaws ride by myself. Well, there were other people, but I wasn't on it with a friend. And what's interesting is, you know, you go with friends, or you go with your your parents, or your cousins, or your family, and you you laugh at the fake shark in the water and the spritzing and all the stuff. Uh, when you're alone and you're not sharing that experience with anyone, it's kind of like scary. I found it, <laughs> I found the ride scary. Like as an adult, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm sorry the Orlando uh, Jaws ride isn't there anymore. It's yeah, that bums me out. I love that ride. That whole little area, the whole Amityville like area, was so cool. Am- I, Amity, I don't think Amityville. I knew about. Yeah, sorry. I don't think I knew about that at the time. But at this point, I would go there just for that. And I really don't want to go to Orlando, so that's something. And now that it's gone, you don't have to. Well, it's funny that a lot of it's gone. Like a lot of the movie, a lot of. I remember one time I used to live in L.A. and there's a um, there's a junkyard up in in a really crappy sort of northern part of the valley that has the. It's not a shark for the movie, but it's the last casting from the original mold. No way. Yeah, and I, I went there, but the thing is, like the junkyard itself. Like you had to pay an admission to get in or something like that, but you kind of you can kind of see it from the if you like stand on the hood of your car, you can see the shark. They just stuck it up on a. It has these like bad wooden teeth, and it's sort of been repainted. But I like, I was out there, uh, and I was like, we have to go see the that, that whole area is is disgusting. Like it smells like burning chemicals, and it's it's awful. But that's the last one that's sitting there. I was watching the the that newest documentary, and they they were talking about they were like, well, what happened to the orca? And it was sitting like in a like a pool at the universal lot forever and and spielberg was like i would just go out there sometimes when, when there were no tourists around i would go sit in there and just sort of reflect and whatever and and, and i went to go at one time at lunch and and there was it was gone and I, I called up like the guy who was in charge of the lot and i was like what happened to the orca and they were like yeah it was rotting so we chopped it up for scrap wood and sent it away and he was like i was livid like they just destroyed it hmm I know. Like, I just like. Didn't you think to call somebody? Like by that time, they knew that the movie was relatively significant. I mean, it was it was a huge hit. I was, oh, it's so sad. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Because it was an actual boat. It wasn't a set. Like it was a real boat. Right. It could have been repaired. I mean, you think of like there's there's no shortage. Of, somebody would have bought that. There's no shortage of people who would have rich people who would have, who would have taken that on. Yeah. So sad. Oh man, I wish that boat still existed. Right? Doesn't it, it? It bummed me out. That's like the same thing with the pirate ship from the Goonies. Like, 
they were just trying to give that thing away when they were done filming. They were like, just take this boat. We don't need it. And then I think they just chopped it up. Well, there was a, there was a, they called the Orca 2, which was the fiberglass uh, replica that they built for mm-hmm. when it sinks. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the same thing. Like they were trying to give it away and some guy from the island bought it and like kept it at his house. Uh, but like it was on private property, so people would have to sneak on to take a look at it. And they have footage of it just disintegrating over the years. And then at the very end of that segment, like there's just like he just showed like a pile of crap that was left. He's like, this is all that's left. And they were selling like squares of it on eBay for a hundred bucks a piece. Wow. Yeah, which I would totally buy. <laughs> have you ever heard of those things where um, they'll they'll screen Jaws, but you sit in like a little floating yeah dinghy like in a pool or whatever? What? What? Wait, what? Where? I need to do that. that. I've heard of this happening. I think Alamo Drafthouse did it, the Rolling Road Show. I think they do it. Maybe that's it. I think that sounds right, and I I honestly can't tell you if I'd be okay with that. That I don't think I could do it. It Doesn't it? Like at night? Just the the pruning alone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but when they do it, they they would actually – they actually – had scuba divers go out and grabbed people. I just had a real visceral reaction. I do things in that pool that would get me kicked out forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Tonight, just I live in New Hampshire. So uh, tonight, as we're recording this, they're actually doing a screening and then a discussion of Jaws. And I had had it on my calendar and I scheduled this to talk at the same time. I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going. Wow. Mm. But, but I figured – I what go. Is, what I, are those "quote unquote" experts going to tell me that I don't know? Exactly. I go see it every year when they screen it here in 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 Manhattan at a at the Sunshine Theater. Mm-hmm. Like it's usually like around Labor Day. Um, but I remember one time I saw it and I got out of the theater and a friend texted me and I just felt like the timing was very insane. That he texted me that Steve Irwin had died. Oh wow! And I was just like, "Whoa, that's that's interesting." Like. He was kind of like a mix of Quint, Hooper, and Brody all in one almost. <laughs> but, you know, real. Yeah. I, I've only seen it – I think I've seen it in a, in a theater with an audience once. And it was like a midnight show. And it was fantastic. Because like, the people who are going to the midnight showing of Jaws, they really want to be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just like it was one of those really wonderful cinema experiences. I wasn't in a pool, so that helped. <laughs> I still jump when the corpse floats by the boat when Hooper's underwater looking for proof. Yeah. 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 That, apparently, that the guy who portrayed that fisherman was like pretty much the yeah. real-life Quint. If you look at pictures between, of the two of them, like, like Quint, uh, Shaw made himself up to basically look like that guy. And, and, and uh, I saw a thing where his daughter, Shaw's daughter, was talking about it. And basically, like Gardner just told Shaw stories, all these stories, and then and then Shaw took those stories that were that were just lies to begin with as his own and started telling them, <laughs> like his his fishing story. I found out once I was uh, Shaw is buried in in Ireland in this little sort of um, this little graveyard on the west coast of Ireland. And I and I on a trip to Ireland in 2007, we drove right past it, and I didn't find that, I found that out later, and I was like, ah, that would that would have been my pilgrimage. That would have been a good one. Find <laughs> Robert Shaw's grave. Has anybody has anybody been to Martha's Vineyard? I was I was in Cape Cod this summer and I tried desperately to find a day to get over there and and, and do that, but I, I couldn't make it work out. I went to Jaws Fest two summers ago, um, and the weather was really bad and everything, so I didn't see it on its best. But uh, I was very disappointed in Martha's Vineyard. It was not a. Uh, it's kind of past its prime. Really? Yeah, I was in, I was in a really smoky uh, hotel. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it was just a bad scene. And I'll tell you, the, the difference is, uh, if, if you ever get a chance, in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, they do Blob Fest every summer, uh-huh. which is uh, to celebrate, you know, it's the town where they filmed the, the original Blob. And you go to the movie theater, which is the movie theater that the Blob attacks, and you sit in that theater and see the Blob attack the theater. And they do, like, a whole three-day, like, big town celebration of it. The town embraces the Blob. And local businesses will do like get the blob drink specials or the blob smoothie. You know, everybody's really into it. Martha's Vineyard, though, you get the idea that they're like, yes, this is where they filmed the shark movie. Yes, well, I, I imagine they've they've had to deal with it. Well, like they get tourists for all for all sorts of reasons. You know, like yeah. and it's a much bigger response, I suppose. Like I was like, can they fill the blob fest? Is that a yearly thing, or do they have to like wait for every five? So you're saying it's not worth going? Because I I seriously considered like I'm like oh, next year I need to plan a trip and go do that. I did not go under ideal circumstances. It was it was really bad weather, um, but you you know like the the cab driver you know points out different stuff like oh that's the scene when you see the under the bridge like we're going over the bridge the, like you see it connects to the pond and you see Brody looks out you know they point out a couple of small things. <laughs> that's pretty <Shark>. cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the type of thing is like a self guided tour is probably better. Like yeah, just go, I would, I, go on a nice day, and like you can yeah. you can find all the scenes. You know, all the, I would all the be embarrassed areas. to go into a store and ask for like the Jaws map. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to. I would, I, I'm sure there's a website that says what it is, and I would do that, and I would be I'll be low key about it. It'd be fine, right? That was part one about Jaws. That's something we've never said about any of our podcast episodes, so that's interesting. Yeah, this is a bold new era. We're uh, we're we're not only doing weekly, but we're doing two parters. So yeah. it's uh, it's all different here at Nerd Geek Dork. Sometimes you got a lot of stuff to talk about. Can't just put it in one episode. That's true. This this conversation just flowed, and we had a ton of stuff. So it's pretty good. Hopefully, you liked part one. Hopefully, you'll come back for part two, which will be a week from today. Uh, come back Thursday. For, for part two of uh, the same crew, all the same guys talking about Jaws. Yep, it'll be a good time. So uh, we'll see you guys there. All right. Don't be afraid to get back in the water.
One day I should air the one the one episode I recorded of uh, There Is No Bathroom, my Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. 